Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio, in this case, a special Thanksgiving episode of Deep State Radio, where down here in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK, we have a big table, we have turkeys on it, we have some tofurkey for some of the people who've flown in from California. Um, It's a real bounty. Uh, We've got David Sanger calling in from Cambridge, Massachusetts, where um, he's working at a historical reenactment at the Plymouth Colony um, uh, as, as an Indian Finally a or visual turkey or I something. You know, but he's there. The, the worst part about this is that while Trump pardoned the turkeys, we only have David to pardon us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I loved all the speculation that Trump was going to, you know, behead the turkeys. Save his pardons for the, other turkeys. No, no, I thought he was was going to take all the turkeys that Obama pardoned and you know wholesale slaughter them on the south lawn of the White House because he undoes everything that Obama did. Um, but in any event, um, we have here Laura Rosenberger, we have here Corey Shockey, uh, and we have David off there in Cambridge. And and I really want to focus on the things we have to be thankful for. And obviously, the place to start with that is the <laughs> lifetime holder of the tiara of optimism, uh, Corey Shockey, who retired. She created this uh, this uh, tiara and then took possession of it, Laura, for you know for all eternity. Because on every discussion we have, she's she's pretty optimistic. So what do we have to be thankful for? Yeah. So uh, so David, you made such a mistake tactically coming to me first because the. A source of amusement every Thanksgiving around in the ancestral home of the Shaki tribe is to tease me about the fact that when I was five years old or something, they let me say grace at family dinner. And I had to be cut off after 15 minutes of things I was thankful for. And it included <laughs> stuff like electricity, right? Well, that's so, something to be thankful for. There'd be no podcast without electricity. You were thinking ahead. So, uh, so I will try and constrain myself to just a few essential things. Well, we'll come back to you a few times. So you don't have to do them all right at once. Um, I am super thankful to live in a country where power is constrained by law, by institutional practice, by norm, by demanding American voters. That uh, I am especially this year thankful for the checks and balances that the founding fathers put into our political system. A second thing I am deeply and profoundly thankful for is that the liberal order that the hard men who won World War II established um, turns out to be 
really resilient and may not even require American leadership at the helm in order to sustain the values, the alliances, and the institutional practices that have kept our country safe and prosperous. And the third thing, I promise I'll stop here, um, the third thing I am grateful for is that in a time of crisis for our country, that Americans of a lot of different political, ideological, sociological stripes are finding common cause to work on important stuff together, like Laura Rosenberger's terrific Alliance for Securing Democracy. This, this has turned this week into the Alliance for Securing Democracy Hour here. At the, um, <laughs> As it should. I'll take it. And, and are you thankful for that, Laura? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, though, I actually am thankful um, to be able to be working in a really strong bipartisan effort um, on something that to me is so core. I mean, our democracy. I, um, you know, having advised Hillary Clinton in the campaign um, and working side by side with uh, Marco Rubio's former foreign policy advisor um, with a fabulous advisory council from across the political spectrum, um, including Corey. Um, and, and there is something actually that in these divided times that feels really good about being able to identify these transcendent issues and work um, together in concert to try to preserve them, to preserve these values, and to, to move forward on them. Here, here. I have to say, I, I was talking actually before we started this with Corey about this issue. And one of the things that drew me to foreign policy and national security was that it was supposed to be nonpartisan. It was supposed to be above this discussion of party politics, which, frankly, for all of American history has been kind of awful. And it was all kind of awful in a lot of countries and really plays to the lowest common denominator. And here, the thought was the issues are so important that we have to set that aside. We have to find common ground. We have to look at things on a fact-based basis. And, uh, and, and that is something, you know, that it still exists in the midst of the kind of swirling maelstrom of, of well, that's what you would say, I was going to say shit, um, that, that, you know, that is out there um, is, 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 um, is something to cling to. And I, and I have to pick up from your point, Corey, that I, th I think in both of these cases, there's one person we have to be thankful for on this day, and that's Norm. You know, norm. Those norms, those norms that we once aspired to, those norms that we once took for granted. And maybe in 2018, some of our current leaders will Sitting sit down with Norm, invite corner, Norm to Thanksgiving. Corner bar stool in cheers. Exactly. Norm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If only Norm would invite himself into these discussions. Deep State Radio nerds. <laughs> While it's true I am a generation out of sync with that cultural reference, please notice it was at least 20th century. I want bonus points. Yeah, this is the 21st century, Corey. <laughs> Not oh, for I Corey, see. this is... <laughs> <laughs> You're saying because it wasn't 19th century? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, she's catching up, folks. David, what are you thankful for? Well, um... First of all, I'm looking forward to the show in which you have Norm solo here, or maybe <laughs> sit in as host. <laughs> so um, it's it's a version of, of the same thing, but um, think about all of the systems 
that turned out they really worked in this past year. Um, at a time that we were quite concerned about what was happening in the world of executive power. So I'm thinking back to the first week of the Trump administration when I opened up my uh, cell phone one evening. I was down in uh, Florida and I discovered a host of leaked documents. Now, I realize people are not supposed to be happy about leaked documents in the current environment. But what these were were leaked executive orders. They were executive orders the White House was drafting to put out, including one that would have um, reopened the uh, secret interrogation sites, the black sites for the CIA, and um, reestablished some practices in interrogation that uh, the United States had abandoned. And they were clearly leaked in order to stop them, to sort of warn the defense secretary, maybe the CIA director, that this was about to come out of the White House because all interagency process had failed. So that gave me a sort of new appreciation of what I'm thankful for this year. So I'm thankful first for the fact that we had a press with enough protections around it that it could expose a huge amount. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the press was supposed to be part of the resistance. I actually think it shouldn't be. But it should be part of the truth-telling. And so, you know, we went from a, in a Russia investigation where we were told that there were no contacts between a campaign and Russians to one where, as of this recording, we're down to nine people and 30-something contacts. That only happens in a free country where the executive can't shut the press down. We had an independent judiciary that managed to push back on some immigration rules, not all of them, but some of them. Uh, on some uh, other orders, and the President of the United States discovered that he did indeed have to obey what some federal district judge who was uh, frustrating his agenda uh, uh, had to go deal with. He's not the first president to run into that or to vow to overcome it. Franklin Roosevelt tried to go do the same. Um, but it's interesting that we learned again that the system works. And the very fact that Laura is able to go start up an organization like the one that she has had and use the power of the internet, use the power of talking to the press, use the power of going on deep state radio, if you can indeed call that any power, um, very powerful, um, uh, and, and be listened to by all 12 of our favorite um, deep state <laughs> listeners. Um, the, the, the fact that, that that can all happen tells you that less has changed in this country than we might fear. Now, you got to be very careful with those because it's easy to make those erode. But I would say the experiment of year one is pretty good. So I have one more thing to add to okay. that after Laura. No, it's just, no, no, go ahead. Okay. Just very brief. Um, so, so the one thing I would add, and it sounds a little odd, but I'm, I'm sincere about it. I am genuinely grateful this Thanksgiving that the President of the United States, when faced with uh, – uh, judicial setbacks actually acknowledged the power of the constraining forces in American society. I remember being quite worried um, two days before the election when President Trump was calling, was suggesting that maybe he wouldn't honor the election outcome and try and call it into all question. All I can say, and I will only speak for all of the Jewish people here, is that the Jewish Thanksgiving response to that is, shh. Don't say that. <laughs> okay. You're going, okay. You're going to cause a back. problem. I take, take it, it back. back. I take it 
take it back. Um, um, I don't. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that or you have something. Else. No, I would just <laughs> add this. So far, that was my <laughs> so far. Um, but I one other thing that I'm thankful for is you know we've seen some really. Um, disturbing survey data that just came out about how America is being perceived around the world um, in the Trump era. And it's it's not, doesn't look good. But what's really interesting behind that is that people are still yearning for American leadership. And what that says for me is that even in these tough times, um, when we are being tested in these ways, that the values that America stands for, that we that people have always looked to us from around the world as this beacon, um, you know, I think that that is still there. And as long as that power is still there, as long as people still want us to become our best selves, not just here in the United States, but around the world to be present. You know, I can still believe that American exceptionalism will live on as long as people want us to come back. Okay. That's, uh, by the way, I think all of you guys are like heartwarming. You're like a Hallmark card. It's Thanksgiving, David. No, I understand that. And I think that's great. But, you know, I did have some of our former colleagues, former colleagues from, uh, Bast uh, uh, episodes send in some responses, and before uh, Laura has to go, I want to share one of one of her former colleagues here and get a response because they've been a little bit, you know, uh, around the, the the world. This is from Colin Call, former colleague um, uh, uh, in the Clinton uh, in the Obama administration with Laura. Um, and I, you know, and asked them what they should be thankful for. And his response was, we should be thankful that despite Trump's fire and fury, we have not had a nuclear war with North Korea yet. And I, I know this is an issue that you've been involved in. And I just wanted, you know, to get your reaction to Collins. Is this on your list of things? Or do you just think we shouldn't press our luck by um, by, by saying yet? I mean, I'm not actually really worried about a nuclear war with North Korea. I'm much more worried, as we've talked about before, about risks of miscalculation and getting into conventional scenarios that sort of spiral out of control. Am I thankful that so far that has not happened? Yes. Um, Do I think there's still a very high risk of something like that happening? Yes. Um, do I think that um, that the way that even as this administration has attempted to put in place strategies for North Korea and any other set of issues, um, and the president continues to just take to Twitter and blow up that entire approach um, through 140, sorry, um, to trash that entire approach through now 280 characters before 140, um, that is is deeply worrying to me. And yes, I am thankful that so far. That has not happened. Excellent. That is precisely the kind of dark meat we were looking for in this turkey. <laughs> you couldn't let me leave on the high positive note. You had to bring me down. No, he would not let you go out on a high note. Every, every turkey has its white meat and its dark meat. And Just we, don't let don't let Laura leave with a drumstick, will you? Because I. <laughs> All right, so I'm a white meat girl. Okay, we are gonna we're gonna keep going here. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Um, uh, let me, uh, friends, turn to the Thanksgiving suggestions of Julie Smith. Yay! Um, uh, uh, another of our great colleagues here. She has given us four of them, um, and um, I will offer the four of them, and then David and Corey, you can respond. 
First, she said we should be thankful that Bannon and Gorka didn't last more than a few months. Here, here. Yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with that. We should be thankful that Mueller has attracted some of the best and brightest in recent months, and his team has been free of scandals and leaks in a town that can't keep a secret. She also said we should be thankful that exceptional reporting has brought to light otherwise the otherwise dark world of social media's involvement in Russian interference. That almost sounds like a personal reference to you, David. I mean, I would say that is like saying we should be thankful for David Sanger. <laughs> um, and Julie might, Julie might take issue with that, but sure, we'll, we'll take it. That she's not here, so we're going to interpret yeah. it that way. And by the way, she, she spreads the love around a little bit because her final point is we should be thankful for deep state radio. How could yeah. we... How could yeah, we disagree right. with that since that's us? David, do you want to respond to any of these or add something? Well, you know, Bannon and Gorka did something that was pretty useful during the time that they were there because it was it, they allowed us to explain the battle for the soul of this administration. And the fact that it didn't seem acceptable to keep them around told you that while the administration may want to appeal to the base, and you see the president going off to do that with all kinds of, of uh, statements, dog whistles, whatever you would call them at various moments, in the end, they understood you couldn't govern with people like that, um, that that was simply going to be too divisive, too counterproductive. Now, there's a big question about whether or not they have replaced any of that with a guiding ideology other than this is another episode of let's make a deal. But, um, so David, but, I want to interrupt you before you go on to the others to say that I, the owner of the tiara of optimism, think you are being wildly exaggeratedly optimistic that, that Bannon and Gorka being pushed out is evidence that President Trump and the people closest to him thought they could not govern by the strategy of continually alienating uh, potential supporters and narrowing the base. I, I think there are plenty of people still in this White House, and I think that is who share those reflexes, and I think it remains the president's reflexes. I think you may be taking the conclusion that, uh, that these two guys were, you know, particularly flamboyant about it, or, yep. and, and maybe extrapolating too far on that, my friend. David, can you recall another time in the history of Deep State Radio where I was more optimistic than the wearer of the tiara of optimism? I, I can't, but that's something else to be thankful for. Yeah, that I'm capable of being that naive. Yeah. Um, no, um, uh, I, Corey, you're, you are definitely right that the president himself does this all the time. But if we had said in January... Did we think that the forces aligned around Bannon and Gorka would be ousted by the end of the summer? I don't think I would have been willing to put money on that at that time. I cede you the argument, David. Well, you know, we still have like the lizard boy, Stephen Miller, in the government. <laughs> There's still a bunch of these, you know, horrible, you know, horrible people there. And I'm not so sure Bannon's role has changed a bit. 
I mean, I think he may be doing exactly. He's just doing it from the outside and maybe with more freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe more visibility. And his role has actually grown. He's still consulting the president. But now he's got all of Breitbart as a kind of extension of the government as a kind of a, a tool informal tool of the Trump administration. And without the institutional or legal restraints that could be that could constrain him doing it from within the government. And he doesn't have to dress up all nice like he used to. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> or scrub up all nice. <laughs> yeah, I wonder does does he bathe? I mean uh, I I don't want to know the answer to that question. Yeah. I don't even want well, speculation. I have, I have some yeah, I have some views on this. But please um, don't share them. Yeah. I'm thankful that David will not share those views. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. Thankful <laughs> for all the images that you didn't have to imagine. That's exactly that, right. That 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 came out of all of this. By the way, David, I think you'll be pleased to know that when I went to Susan Hennessy for some of these um, suggestions, her first thing to be thankful—well, actually, her first thing to this is actually more for Corey. Her, her first thing to be thankful for was, I'm thankful for principled Republicans holding firm and for people who tell the truth, even when it is personally, professionally, and politically inconvenient. I curtsy my thanks both to Susan and to you that you believe I satisfy those criteria. You, you, certainly, you certainly do. And, and um, I, I have to say, people like David Sanger, this, the, you know, one thing we really do have to be thankful for. Uh, and, and now that I'm not in any way confused with a journalist, not that it ever happened before, um, I, I think I can say this. But we are living in a really golden moment of journalism, um, whether it's the folks that David is working with at The Times who are doing fantastic work um, uh, or, or the, the Washington Post, which has had literally what was an unimaginable re, re, resurgence in terms of the quality of what it's doing, or the raft of people who are doing great work on CNN and on MSNBC and at USA Today and at ProPublica. And at, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And we have seen this the fourth estate rise up to counteract the weaknesses elsewhere within the government in a and way rise that, up despite efforts at intimidation of them by the president. And, and in fact, every it. effort to intimidate has produced a strengthening. It's almost as if they, 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 they consume that. And David, if the it, redwood trees in a fire, it, it, it is, it is remarkable. And I, you know, I've been doing this journalism thing now for like 35 years. He was an apprentice uh, and, to Gutenberg, actually. That's right. <laughs> I used to set the little wooden pieces of type for him. And um, I have to say, I can't remember a period of time quite like this. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I mean, to, to the point that people come up to you in airports and say thank you for what you do, which they previously were doing largely only for members of the military, and I appreciated the fact that they were doing that. But well, the well, press no, we've arrived in when you... some, other, some other way. Well, and you have to remember, we've still got you know um, approval ratings that are slightly below uh, members of Congress and trial lawyers, <laughs> okay? But, but that, that aside... Well, yeah, um, well, you, well I, really I want to propose this... right here that from now on, the airlines in the United States, after you know the people who need extra assistance, say, and we will now board members of the military and working journalists. Here, here. 
air. And we can identify the military folks because they'll be in uniform. We can identify the working journalists because they'll have a drink in their hand. They'll be slightly drunk and they'll have food down the front of their clothing. (laughs) Right, and maybe a pencil in their ear because they hadn't heard about laptops yet. And they will then seat us on the the wing. (laughs) But um, uh, that aside, um, I do have to say, if you think back a few years when people wondered was the onset of the digital era not not only killing off newspapers, the physical newspaper, but was it killing off news gathering and all that? The answer is it has in many places, particularly, and I worry about this, in, in small cities, in towns. I'm not quite sure who's watching the you know, corrupt sewer commissioner. But for the largest news organizations – it's done the opposite. It's actually invigorated them, allowed them to put more money and time into the kind of investigative work that I think we think is so important. And that isn't a solution for much of the other part of the problem. And we have to think hard about how we sustain journalism at the local level, which is really what I worry about the most right now. But it has been heartening. And I think this year has been a remarkable example. Well, I think, you know, it's complemented by the fact that Grassroots journalism, uh, you know, and options for it exists, including podcasts and other kinds of things that enable people to go out and get fairly substantial audiences if audiences think they deserve it. Uh, And while we can lament, you know, certain, uh, uh, you know, sort of communities that celebrate fake news, they're losing. They always lose. Truth has a lot of, you know, advantages to it that, you know, not the least of which is that ultimately over time it's proven out. Um, and this is, this is a, you know, this is a, a, a really great thing. Uh, the other thing that uh, Susan Hennessy said was, I'm thankful to civil servants who show up every day, depleted ranks, uncertain budgets, and unending insults from the president be damned. I'm grateful to those who stubbornly insist it is a privilege and even occasionally a joy to serve the country. Yeah. I, well, I think, you know, this is, this is something, you know, we joke, right? We're, we're called deep state radio, you know, and we, we you know, we, 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 you know, sort of play off this meme that's out there, you know, among the right, that there is this embedded evil deep state. The reality is that almost everybody who works for the United States government does so at an economic disadvantage to some other job someplace else that they could have gotten, does so despite a lot of hardship, including not being terribly appreciated by the country that they are serving, working within limited budget constraints, often in the not you know, nicest place in town, the not loveliest office, and many of them at great personal risk. Um, and all of these people out there in the deep state serve. And when it's unpopular, they serve. And when they're insulted by the president, they serve. And when it's dangerous, they serve. And I think, you know, when you talk about Thanksgiving, that's something you ought to be thankful for. Here, here. But I do feel the need to correct a pernicious fake news story perpetrated by our own David uh, Rothkoff that I somehow... Wait, a pernicious story <laughs> perpetrated <laughs> yes. by me? Yes, that I somehow favor 
tofu substitutions for turkey simply because I am a Californian. I object in principle and in practice to that. Well, we can ban this in our silo. There can be <laughs> yes. no somebody. I saw online that somebody said we shouldn't be frying turkeys in the silo, and I thought, please, deep state radio <laughs> nerds, go to YouTube and pull up the film clips of fires started by right. deep frying turkeys. And it's remember, so fantastic, and are, don't do it yourself. We need all twelve of you. That's right, and please remember, we are not deep fried radio nerds. <laughs> and the way <laughs> just another way to think of a silo, David, is like as the world's greatest smoker for turkeys. <laughs> no, no, no. The world's greatest s- artillery piece. We will launch those fried turkeys over the ramparts of our enemies. You know, redoubts. It, re- it reminds me of that great story, which somebody once swore Sachet to me was Lavage. true, where they, they, the, um, the Air Force made an air cannon that launched birds. I have personally fired the cannon that launches frozen birds at airplane engines. Well, it, it's not supposed to actually launch frozen birds, and that was the point of the Excuse story. Excuse me, could you, could you back up and ask Corey <laughs> to describe the circumstances under which she was launching frozen turkeys at airplane well, I will, engines? I will get to that. Terminal the- ballistic missile, terminal defenses is my answer. David, you know this is this is amazing. Corey has been working for years on effective missile defense, and her answer is frozen turkeys. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, well, you know the way the story goes, and by the way, David, it works. The, the the way the story goes is they made an air cannon to launch these chickens at these planes, and to test cockpit strength, the the canopy strength, and you know it was working fine, and the British ordered the air cannon, and every time they launched the chickens at the plane, the canopy shattered. And they tried all the adjustments they could, and it didn't work. And finally, somebody called up the manufacturer of the cannon or the U.S. Air Force and said, we're having this problem. And the response was, don't use frozen chickens. (laughs) 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 So so I don't actually think it was frozen ones. But... um, you know, folks, when you think Corey Shockey, you know, is not speaking from some experience, she's been there on the front lines of most of the major poultry wars that we have been involved in. Not least against chicken hawks. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. And so we're back to the scandals in journalism again. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, something we'll throw that out there, too, though. I am thankful for the Me Too movement. I am thankful for the fact that the abuse of power by men over women or by men over other men for sexual women benefit. Women over other women. Right. Although, yes, perhaps that is, is – I haven't read a lot of those stories. But, 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 but the, this is about abuse of power. It's not about sex. It's about people who use their positions in order to – um, uh, intimidate uh, without regard for the feelings of anybody else. Um, and this may be a watershed moment. It may really be one of those moments, which, you know, which happened, by the way, if you're skeptical, 10 years ago, no one would have thought that gay marriage would be legal across the country. 10 years ago, no one would have thought that 
marijuana would be legalized across the country. There have been some very big social changes in our lifetime. Uh, and, and I'm hoping, I'm thankful for what's happened so far, and I'm hoping that there's more to come. I am thankful for the women and men like Terry Crews who have been courageous enough to come forward and run all of the professional and personal and psychological risks associated with bearing witness to their experience. I am so thankful for all the men who have been my mentors across my career and not been creeps and jerks and harassers. And I'm also thankful for all of the women who have been my mentors who have not been creeps and jerks and harassers. Because as David rightly says, this isn't about sex, this is about power. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just beginning. Uh, but the it's fact- also been a moment for all of us to listen pretty hard and to think back uh, to moments where we probably should have said something, sent up a warning, sent up a flare, and didn't. And, you know, I've been trying to replay in my own mind things I'd heard, seen, you know, thought I might know about, uh, or things that I was completely tuned out to because, you know, we've got our heads down thinking about, uh, you know, nuclear weapons in North Korea. I think it's wonderful, Uh, David. It's a moment of consciousness raising for all of us. Anybody who hasn't yet read Angry Staff Officer's blog post about all the times his colleagues who are female soldiers mentioned things, and he helped them laugh it off and now wonders whether that was the right thing. I think we're all navigating our way towards a better professional place, and we ought to celebrate the people trying to do that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's high time that we examine it as as deeply as we can and and move on because you know beyond sexual harassment there are other sort of subtle elements to this thing biases you know hiring people who look better than other people for a job as though that were somehow, somehow an issue, relevant you know somehow relevant to what's going on and you know in fact I've heard a lot of people joke about you know that you know, be you know, prejudice against people being fat or prejudice against people looking a certain way is the last acceptable prejudice. And hopefully we'll get past that and recognize that the workplace is the workplace. You hire the best people, that benefits you, you behave in a way that's respectful to them. And it, you know, it doesn't, by the way, it does not take the Mike Pence method. I mean, you here, know, here. since Laura has left the room and you're here to speak for women, it seems to me that this idiocy that you can't have a meeting alone with a woman can only end up penalizing women. Uh, yes, it will foreclose professional development opportunities for women. It'll prevent you from hiring them. But moreover, let's pause and think about what that says, which is that Mike Pence can't be trusted to be alone with a woman and doesn't believe his character is unimpeachable enough that he can run the risk of someone suggesting to the contrary, right? Like, we would object to that if, oh, let's just take the example of Muslim men suggested that you couldn't be in a room with a professional woman or she had to have her head covered or her hands covered. That is the identical line of logic to Mike Pence's logic. That's a really good point. It is a really good point. Um, David, as you are sitting, where are you spending Thanksgiving, David? 
I'm spending Thanksgiving in New York with family. We're actually joining together everyone from a, a 94-year-old dad down to a recent college graduate and a current college student. And we're all going to be in the same place, which is a rare thing in the Sanger household. Marvelous. Do you know, by the way, Corey, that David Sanger's mother and my mother attended high school together. Is that right? Yeah. It's absolutely true. <laughs> and we're friends. And, wow. Yeah. And, and, and despite the fact that otherwise they did a great job mothering. <laughs> and I want you what, to know this was happened? well before David wrote NSC1. <laughs> Actually, yeah. yeah. Which of the two of you's age does this reflect more alarmingly on? It uh, reflects more alarmingly on his than on mine. <laughs> I'm sure that's true, um, but uh, you know, there's some, there are some benefits to aging a little bit. You know, to knowing a little more, um, and if you somehow manage to, you know, to be, maintain all your faculties and your energy <laughs> and everything else. Um, I, Boy, I, David, you missed that one. If he's going to pitch him slow and over the center of the plate like that, how was, did you resist was, swinging? There were so many opportunities in there, but it was only the charity of the Thanksgiving week. <laughs> it is the Thanksgiving spirit. I was counting on you um, and and your gen- your well-known generosity of spirit. But let's get to the <laughs> most important issue this Thanksgiving, which is deep state radio swag. David. Well, that's a really important issue, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, at the beginning of Deep State Radio, we thought, well, we're going to just dive right in and handle the swag. But of course, we had to set things up. And in fact, Deep State Radio, you know, we've set up the global intergalactic world headquarters of Deep State Radio in in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, uh, people stop in front of 602 Cameron Street, take photos. They want to. They want to be. They they want to be part of. By the, the way, history. it was a former CIA state safe house before David <laughs> took it over. Current. Okay. All just I can say current. is yeah. former. If that's he just if that's your it. story. You stick with it. Um, um, it looks. In fact, I was saying to the people at the office yesterday, it reminds me a lot of the offices in Three Days of the Condor. I don't. Oh, the, excellent! It's a good yes. movie, right? You know, and what know. happens in the opening scene of that movie? <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing good. But, but I do always offer to go out to get the lunch. That's the secret <laughs> for those of you who haven't seen, seen that movie. Yeah, think Team America, Deep State Radio nerds. Yeah, exactly. But we're but it, saving Paris. But in any event, so we set that up, and we're actually setting up studios there. But by the way, with our loyal supporters at Goat Rodeo who were going to come along and Yay, Ian help and us. And, yes, exactly. Here's Ian and right. Happy Thanksgiving, Ian and right. Uh, but, but, uh, and it's going to have video capabilities and all sorts of other things, which are extremely cool. And now finally we are kind of grown up enough that we've got somebody who will put mugs in boxes, Yay! You know, which is a big thing and put t-shirts in boxes. Um, and so deep state radio nerds send in your recommendations for the mugs you want and the t-shirts. And want. that's where we start. That is the, the place that we start. It'll say deep state radio on one side, and then it's got to be some slogan, some utterance, something Corey said, something David said, or Rosa. Rosa. Oh yeah. We're roses in like Costa Rica right now, lying <laughs> on the beach with a, with a drink with an umbrella in it. But she doesn't want to be in the opening of three days of the condor. Yeah. Exactly. Wise, wise move on her part. 
but something that you know that that says to you deep state radio and i was sort of thinking of a silo shaped beer mug Oh, very good. And we can have that sort of Munich type Stein top, which will be the warhead mating to the missile. Launching out. That's a nice idea. Well, we'll take all the ideas and the five best ideas we will turn into mugs and we will send you a mug. And if you send in a good idea that we don't turn into a mug, but we like it anyway, we'll send you a mug. So you've got a week. It's Thanksgiving now. We'll give you. We'll give you till next week. And how do you send in for these mugs, David? Well, that's such a good question, David. But the way I would suggest you do it is that you use the hashtag Deep State Radio on Twitter, and you tweet it at us, and that will continue the fabulous conversation um, that we are having. Every day on Twitter, if you're not in on the Deep State Radio conversation, you're missing one of the things that I'm most thankful for, which is Deep State Radio nerds are some of the weirdest, <laughs> some of the strangest most characters wonderful. Deep there. State Radio nerds, please know I am agitating internally for the tiara of optimism and for it to look like the battleship had on the cover of my book. Yeah. Now, first of all, you got to go out and buy Corey's book for two reasons. <laughs> it's a great book. And there's a picture on the cover of it. Some people have alleged it's Corey. Not true. Um, wearing a hat that is... Sort that of an Corey early, early, early predecessor of the tiara of optimism. Um, for those of you who very early on submitted some things that were to earn you a mug, please tweet that back at us. I remember a guy in Ireland or someplace and had arranged deep state radio promotion <laughs> on his cattle. Um, you know, I also love the deep state radio bingo with all of our books. That nerd deserves no, a mug. And that will get a mug and the cattle will get a mug. And anybody, anybody, as a general rule, if you come up with a great way to promote deep state radio, which is really grassroots radio, if you come up with a great way to promote it, uh, and and you know follow through on it you know create something and get brand it out your there. cattle deep state radio you will get a mug and as of January you will have an opportunity for deep state radio t shirt or sweatshirt yeah no it's so incredible that you get to listen to this which you pay what for nothing. <laughs> Um, and we give you wisdom and humor and, and David Sanger's Thanksgiving tips. What is the recipe that you're recommending to everyone this Thanksgiving, David? <laughs> well, you know, it, it starts with how you go out and um, do a, a non-harmful way of capturing a turkey. <laughs> sort of, you know, think Walk of the humane, down Pennsylvania the, humane, Avenue. the humane turkey trap, right? <laughs> Yeah, the human, uh, right, right, exactly. Go to the White House. Now, I'm not quite sure what you do with the turkey once you have captured said turkey in a humane way. Uh, I've had a few walk into my backyard where we thought about this, and I thought they were sort of tempting fate since it was indeed, you know, uh, getting near Thanksgiving. But they do it anyway. So there are flocks of wild turkeys at my Serene Republic in California. And um, I am reliably informed wild turkey is better as a drink than as a meal. It's absolutely true. It's a little tough as a meal. That's Corey's recipe. <laughs> yeah, that's my recipe. You want Corey's turkey recipe. <laughs> Corey's Buy- turkey recipe. <laughs> Buy a bottle. <laughs> Buy a bottle of wild turkey <laughs> and have a great Thanksgiving. And even if it sucks, 
you won't remember. You'll be fine. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> there you go, folks. It only lasts a day. <laughs> <laughs> An- another great episode of Deep State Radio. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, nerds. David, do you want to wish them happy Thanksgiving, too? All I can say is that I can't think of any place I'd rather spend my Thanksgiving day than on Deep State Radio. Well, actually, I can, <laughs> but I can't think of people I would rather spend it with than than you guys and, Thank of you, course, the listeners. Thank you. Uh, it is mutual, and to all of our close friends who are often around this table, and to all of you who are listening in with us, uh, have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you again next week. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.